I like to think of self-care as like how you show yourself love. And I think that can be done in so many different ways. It's like when you like my wife, I, I, she likes, she's a sleeper. Like she'll sleep a little bit longer in the morning sometimes and, and then be hustling to get out for work. And like how I show her love is making her coffee so that she doesn't have to do that. Or maybe putting together her breakfast or just something like that. And I think even in those moments, when I reflect on it and I think about how I treat myself, how I show love to other people, I can do the same thing. And I think it really comes down to the intention behind the actions that you take. Hello, hi, I'm Erin Vandeven. Thanks for joining me today. This is Medium Lady Talks. This podcast is about figuring out the medium effort way to get the most out of life today. I hope the things I unpack here can role model and invite you to sort out your own ways to live life in the present. This is a show about experimenting to get closer to what matters most. I'm glad you're here, so let's settle in. Hello, hi, and welcome to Medium Lady Talks. I'm your host, Erin, and today I am joined by a guest to the Medium Lady space. Alex is a licensed physical therapist and wellness coach. And Alex, you and I have connected over on Instagram. You're another fantastic, what I call like matchmaking of the algorithm. We're really kind of connected on helping people to see the world in a way that helps them recognize how how they're doing okay. You know, like I, I try to say, you know, Medium effort and mindful fun. I like for people to feel like the distance between where they want to be and where they are is actually not really that far. And you call yourself a healthy lifestyle and consistency coach. And I really like that consistency bent on your on your intro. So welcome to Medium Lady Talks. Thank you so much for having me. So happy to be here. Now you and I connected today on episode 62, which is about gentle goal setting. I think we're going to probably dive a little bit into that today. Uh, Before we really get uh, heavy into the deep chats, I feel like you and I are definitely going to end up having a deep chat for the audience today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're all about? I sure will. Thank you. I've been thinking a lot about this, actually. And it's interesting with bios, because depending on where you're giving your bio, kind of you give the relevant information. So I've been thinking about this and I have to say, I played sports my whole life and I always have led my bio for decades has been about sports. And in this time in my life, competing at the collegiate level and always having that as a part of my life, I have now realized through the work that I'm doing and it kind of led me to the work I'm doing. I didn't really know what it was like to exercise or to have these healthy habits and like wellness activities outside of the scope of playing a sport. It was almost like they were means to an end. So I played college softball, graduated, went to physical therapy school, graduated from that, from my program in 2018 and worked as a physical therapist in hospital settings in clinic settings um, until really the pandemic happened and We moved to some virtual space and I just was feeling like the work I wanted to do and how I wanted to communicate and help people reach the goals that they had, it was a little too confined in the physical therapy world. So in 2021 is when I stepped into my own business um, in Bold and Total Wellness, which is luckily how we 
connected through my mm-hmm. social media endeavors there. Every other interview I do, maybe a little bit more than that, the guest will say, and then the pandemic hit. Yep. <laughs> and now my story has yeah. a different chapter. <laughs> yep. But um, you've made that pivot in 2021. And say more about the PT space being too small. So in I was practicing in uh, Massachusetts in the United States. <clears throat> And I quickly realized that my, when I felt my best, when I felt like I could give my best, I should say, was when I was in the space with my patient. And it was in the conversations I would have. It was in getting to know them as a person, kind of knowing what made them tick and just what was meaningful for them. And that was my favorite part. And all of the other details of documenting and having the lens, (laughs) having the lens be very uh, goal oriented isn't what I want to say. Having it be very um, physically structured, Mm -hmm. right? Like the purpose of it is to rehab some injury or some impairment or functional limitation and try to return to your prior level of function in some regard. And I was just feeling like, there that it was that was putting a ceiling on what could come from these interactions with people it was kind of like we would be going down one direction having conversation and then we'd have to kind of like turn the car back to all right now do your leg extensions or, so, or something <laughs> you know <laughs> which i just was feeling was incongruent and i think like insurance models and mm-hmm. time restrictions and productivity requirements and and those things really kind of continued to tighten around that feeling of I don't know if this is how it should be (laughs) and so now when you serve patients what kind of models are you bringing to that relationship yeah so I have actually stepped out of the uh, physio space like I don't put myself out there really as a physical therapist anymore just because I was finding I was staying in, even though I am now exclusively online and all digital, when certain words are used and you're kind of treating pain or you're speaking to an injury, it kind of keeps the conversations and the purpose there, which has, you know, immense value. It just wasn't where I was finding the, (laughs) where all of my conversations seemed to go was like broader and more like in, you know, personal and, and things like that. So I don't do a lot of practicing in that way anymore since I have realized that I couldn't, I kind of couldn't bridge the two, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I'm a nurse by background, and I think that what you're talking about are the structures of, you know, traditional Western medicine in the context of our consciousness kind of rapidly expanding through the internet and social media and our ability to understand that when people come to the system, the healthcare system for health and healing, they're bringing their entire selves with them. And sometimes what we ask of them is to compartmentalize huge parts of their lives to achieve healing in one very, very small element. And when you have a vision like you do, or when you seek connection the way many people do, you can sometimes understand that some of that interaction, if not all of it, is going to be limited by that Western medical view 
of let's fix your knee. And maybe your childhood wasn't what it should have been. And maybe you had a traumatic experience with a partner when you were in university. And maybe you grew up in poverty. But those are things we're not going to talk about when we talk about your knee. Even though there may be coping mechanisms, responses to trauma, resilience patterns that are going to probably be super helpful information to heal your knee. But we either will or won't have time to get into that. What I'm understanding from your story is that you were able to see that you have a talent to, to see that. Because that's not in our training either. It's certainly not in our, our training as a nurse. Uh, in nursing training, it's not. And um, I'm, I'm going to make a leap that it's not really a huge part of PT training either. Um, when you're empathetic and you care about relationships and you can see a whole person in front of you, it's really hard to ignore. Oh, yeah. Big time. And, you know, people will give you this like magic opening into their lives in a way. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's one of those things where, unfortunately, in a clinic space or in that traditional model, you have this opening and potential to either build connection or build a space where someone feels more comfortable and they feel heard and seen, which very well may help their pain, right? Because there's so much, so much to do with pain that is not just the structure of the body. But at the same time, when that door opens, you can either take it and potentially that is your the rest of your session, or you don't take it and kind of close that off for that person because you have to get to your next person in the waiting room. You have to do your documentation. Mm -hmm. And it just was a position that I, I couldn't, it didn't feel good yeah. to, to be faced with either this human experience in their entirety or check the boxes of what I need to do for getting reimbursement and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, right. So with what you're doing now, what do you find is the general thing that people have going on when they seek coaching, when they're seeking support from you, support from someone with your experience, with your background, and they want consistency coaching, they want help with goal setting, we can start to dig into that goal setting conversation. <laughs> what are people bringing to you in terms of holistic problems? Or are they perhaps compartmentalizing their own lives as well? So I would say it's a it's a good split. It really depends too on how they come into my specific world of coaching, because something I put out may be more holistic that they resonate with. And then something may be very specific, you know, about just exercise consistency. Mm -hmm. What I tend to see a lot is folks want that you know, they want to feel good about having some structured regimen of exercise a lot of the time because there's a number of reasons people feel good from a like mental outlet, like it's a good stress reliever. And so when they have it consistently, that is helpful for them. But at the same time, exercising consistently is kind of a thing that is almost like expected, you almost like need to exercise consistently and it's out there in society of like a should do you should be doing this and you have that kind of yeah. guilt frame around it yeah so you want to tick the boxes of a person who's got their life together <laughs> yeah right so it's extremely motivating to me if I, if I have evidence of other people that I've got my life together mm -hmm. um, I don't exercise consistently I don't actually exercise and we can probably talk about that a little bit more as the episode goes along but 
But so sometimes people come and they say, I know this thing, I should be doing this thing and I can't seem to pull it off. Right. Like what's like, I know what to do. It is not news to me. I know exactly what I should do, but I can't figure it out. So that just being, being open, I think is, is the big thing that I ask of folks is because there's a number of reasons why something might not be sticking right there because the person has a whole life experience, you know, they have their patterns, they have their way of approaching problems and they have their own feelings about what exercise means to them. Like there's a lot that, that is underneath that societal expectation of if you want to be someone who's all put together, you should be exercising three to four times a week. And, you know, so it's, it's really unpacking those things that I feel is the most helpful for when someone wants to exercise consistently. And I use exercise a lot because it's, I love things like meditation. Like I love all aspects, but exercise is such a word that, you know, lands. We all know yeah. what's expected of us. Right, right. And so how, where do you start with that? Like, what are some of your favorite tools to get people where they want to go? Or help them see sides of themselves that are maybe getting in their way. Yeah. So it's different for everyone. But a big thing I like to, I love to ask questions. Because I feel like a lot of the time we can make a deduction about something. And it might be an assumption. And it may be correct. But having someone say something and come to that realization as words are coming out of their mouth. Or as an example, I like to ask kind of when has this started like how how long have you been you know starting on and off of exercise and also kind of like where does that on and off pattern show up in your life in other places you know and some people will say oh yeah like I don't know I just don't know if I can do it and then it it's kind of like well why like what does it mean to do it and what does it mean if you can't if you don't like what does it mean about you like what do we mm -hmm. make these things mean about ourselves and a lot of times people will say, I don't know. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. Because we don't spend a lot of time talking about that side of it. Mm -hmm. We're just layering on top of, you know, why can't I do it? And let me try this new thing to see if this works. Right. When in reality, it's like, there's some stuff underneath that I think we can crack open a little bit. Yeah. As, as long as it's comfortable. Right. Right. In my recent episode about goal setting, I called it gentle goal setting because I feel like people can sometimes bring that attitude of exactly what you're describing with exercise is, uh, I can't do it. I'm not doing what I should be doing, which we might make some kind of underlying, if you read between the lines, there's a bit of self-judgment in there or a lot of self-judgment. I know what to do. I know what I should do. I'm not doing it. Therefore, there's probably something wrong with me because other people seem to be able to pull this off. And if I set goals or if I just settled on the perfect magical thing, then I would be able to get from A to B. And if I exercise three to four times a week, I would be a better person than I am now. I would be earning a higher mark at life or whatever you want to call it. And when I talk about gentle goal setting, what I try to do is to coach people through a process that helps them acknowledge that where you are in this moment right now, if you were to change nothing, would be awesome because you've still made your way through so much. You've solved problems before. You've navigated challenges before. There are things that you're proud of in your life. So let's, before we decide that the goal is going to take you from you know, a D minus Aaron to an A plus Aaron, 
let's maybe <laughs> just find a way to understand that Aaron is maybe, you know, an A minus Aaron and that's already like, like fine, you know? And I, and I think even I'm, I'm, I'm being cheeky when I assign like grade levels to it, but I think that people, when they hear goal setting, there's sometimes a little bit of internal resistance because sometimes it feels exhausting to imagine the delta between the not good you and the good you and the effort required to close that gap feels exhausting to people, especially I think after a pandemic. And so that's why I call it gentle goal setting because I really think that, you know, it's exactly what you said is like, when did it start? What have you been through? What problems have you solved before? What's worked in the past? What hasn't worked in the past? Who helped you? Mm -hmm. What did you learn from that experience? And so I thought it was really interesting that, you know, we were able to connect on that episode and talk a little bit about it. I am not actively coaching people one-on-one, but I really like to share my own personal experience with this process that I use in my nine to five and to share that with the podcast audience. But to get back to you and to your experience with setting goals, where do you think that we, where do you think that people get a little bit like tied up? With setting goals? Yeah. Or even following through, like, where do you find, because I would imagine your clients come to you and they're like, great, Alex, let's get started. Let's build a relationship. This is going to be the thing. And then perhaps you have to kind of navigate them through a moment of perseverance when perhaps all of those things that you've been trying to uncover together start to surface or maybe become more conscious. Because as you said, you talk with your clients a lot and you allow them to process through talking. What would you say is like the goal setting journey of your of your clients? So <laughs> I, I love this question. So I think for my clients, I think for a lot of us, um, this is why it resonates so much with me, your, your goal setting episode, because I think we all, and I see this a lot in my clients. So in the context of my clients, we have these, we have a, a, a huge A to B, like to get to B, it feels really big. We are making our B, right? Like we claim that goal. Mm. And I think a lot of the time people who come and who I work with and who are asking, who are raised their hand for help have this history of either like an all or nothing approach yeah. where they start something for a week or two and then they don't follow through on it until they're ready to kind of try it again. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, the initial goal that someone has is totally appropriate, but in the timeline that they are expecting it to get done, it does not correlate well. So coaching through the idea of I that goal is attainable, how can we build it? How can we have smaller goals to get there that we can reach first? And also, is that okay with you? You know, because sometimes low, like, lowering the bar so that we can stay the course feels really bad right because we're not yeah we want to be we want to be a plus plus version and if we lower the bar then maybe we're only shooting for the b version and it's yeah like, but that's not good enough you know yeah it's like i i recently <laughs> i recently canceled my zoom subscription and it was sort of like before you cancel, they want you to see everything that you're missing out on. And they're like, well, you're canceling, but you were actually at the bronze level package. 
are you interested in the gold level package? Because maybe the gold level package would have met your expectations. Right. And so, yeah, yeah, that's making me laugh because it's like, you know, your clients are coming in probably wanting platinum. Oh, yeah. Platinum level results. Yeah. And the difference between bronze and platinum from an effort perspective might actually be more satisfying, more enjoyable, more, more nurturing, more self-care than perhaps the effort required to get to platinum, which might require more sacrifice, more scarcity. Yep. And like burnout, right? And like when we, when we reach so high, not because we shouldn't, but I think we can have that as a goal if we set other ones before it, you know? And Mm -hmm. But it's it's it can be really hard because it can be viewed as like it just brings up a lot of am I not good enough to get there? Like, I don't want to lower my expectations and having the the reframe and asking like why it has to be that that specific goal. You know, like, what does it mean if you don't get to that specific goal? And so there's a lot that goes on in that in that dialogue. of Wait, so like, let's say. I'm going to come see you, Alex. Okay. You're going to help me with my health goals. And I'm maybe I got myself to bronze by myself. Okay. But I'm like, I'm going to pay Alex my hard-earned money to get to platinum mm-hmm. with Alex. Because I got to bronze by myself. I'm going to get to platinum with Alex. And then you're going to talk to me about what if I fail? Oh. Yeah? <laughs> I know. I know. But it's... it's- <laughs> But I almost think about it because I'm a physical therapist and because we're like in healthcare. I think about it like I can't promise that someone is never going to feel pain again. I just can't do that, you know? So if I start this relationship and I make X, Y, and Z promises, like this is the program, you're going to get there and it's there's not going to be a hitch and, you know, and it doesn't go that smoothly then I didn't prepare someone enough. And at the same time, using that pain analogy, it's like if I start and I say, this is the plan to get there, there will likely be some flare ups is what I would use in that regard. But there will likely be some life events that throw you off of this plan. And we can come back to, you know, that line. But it's okay. It's okay. Like you will likely fail mm-hmm. and honestly get the failing out of the way early. Right. Right. <laughs> so that it doesn't mean something bigger when it happens. Okay. <laughs> you're laughing. I think you know what I'm going to say next. So you're, you're an athlete. You know what it's like to participate in the space. The space does not talk the way you're talking about achieving goals. The space says you're going to achieve these results for this amount of money in this amount of time and we're not going to talk about failure but if you fail the underlying assumption is that it's your fault that's right yeah that's right yeah and you know myself i've also been i think victim to that message and it makes you really calloused to try again oh my god yeah oh my god yeah makes you calloused. It brings up a lot of shame and embarrassment. Yeah. And it really makes you question your self ability, Mm -hmm. right? Instead of assessing everything that was going on, maybe at that time, if it was, you know, it's like, where I think, and this is like my personal experience is, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of that self 
almost kind of like that destructive motivation that like self-talk of like just grit like oh work as hard as you can to do it at the expense of whatever you know how you speak to yourself how you view yourself because you need to get to the goal and it's just there's so many things that I had to like unpack as that wasn't the greatest way because I didn't necessarily even get to my goal and in the same along the same path I then now have all of this baggage yeah like like discouragement in myself don't believe in myself fear of failing again like right and those things you carry and you keep them close because they're scary Mm -hmm. right and when they have to do with your physical person I'm a big believer that not only does my mind store things, but that my body is stored things. You know, like I've given birth three times. I've had a couple of back injuries. I grew up as a kid with like um, rheumatoid arthritis. So like there's some like physical memories that my body has held. You know, I've gained and lost weight for various reasons. And all of that, I think, is kind of like in my cells in this way that is maybe a little bit different than let's say I... uh you know, let's, <laughs> I'm trying to think is like, let's say I tried to write a book and I failed at writing a book. It's, it's just like that slightly different programming. Yeah. The other thing that's so tough, and I know you and I have DM'd about this a little bit, is the, the bill of self-care is that it's something you should be able to do for yourself. And I think that's what would get, that would, that's what would keep me from looking for a coach. I'll be honest with you, is I sort of feel like self-care is something we should kind of already know how to do. If we really if we really made it a priority, we would be able to figure it out. But I know so many of us, we come up empty handed and then we just feel worse and worse and worse. What's your take on that self-care in the like cultural rhetoric of taking care of ourselves and the coaching? Because because I think coaching is also I was going to say really popular, but it's really it's become really mainstream, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. And it, I'm smirking a lot because <laughs> <laughs> this is like the conversation I have in my head all the time. And I think, so I feel a lot of ways. I think it's unfortunate how mainstream self-care is because it's something that even I, as a coach, I like roll my eyes about it um, because I think it has been equivalent to try this thing, try this thing, try this thing. There's so many ways to care for yourself, like so many self-care things. And if you don't do it, then you feel like you're not good at it, right? Or like you're just getting pushed this self-care. You're, it's getting thrown in your face all the time. And you, if you're not doing it, you feel worse about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I like to think of self-care as like how you show yourself love. And I think that can be done in so many different ways. It's like when you, like my wife, I, I, she likes, she's a sleeper. Like she'll sleep a little bit longer in the morning sometimes and and then be hustling to get out for work. And like how I show her love is making her coffee so that she doesn't have to do that or maybe putting together her breakfast or just something like that. And I think even in those moments, when I reflect on it and I think about how I treat myself, how I show love to other people, I can do the same thing. And I think it really comes down to the intention behind the actions that you take. So something like 
exercise is, you know, to be coached through doing the self-care things, it's important to understand what that person is stepping forward with and also make sure we're talking about self-care in the same way, Mm. if that makes sense. Um, Sure, sure. Because I don't know if you're familiar with the love languages, the five love languages, but I think you could easily give someone a program or I think maybe that's where a lot of us are self-caring wrong or ineffectively is we're lacking the opportunity for intention beforehand and we might be throwing money at the problem right? Um, in a way that's actually not aligned with how we receive love. That's way harder than buying a face mask. One million percent. Is how do I love myself? I would imagine, Alex, a lot of people, if they're feeling safe in the space with you, which knowing you, I'm sure they are, they say, but that requires me to love myself in the first place. And then that means there's a tremendous amount of healing that people have to do before they can even self-care. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And that's a hard space to be in, right? Yeah. Is like, yeah. if you're not, I again, I use exercise consistently because I think that's a very universal like it's something that we can all we have an experience like we know where to put exercising but it's almost like exercising consistently in the way that mainstream talks about it and I shared this quote with you it's it's they gave us exercise but they took movement and I think exercise has been monetized in a way in a in a way to mm-hmm give beliefs that we all need to cling to about what we should be doing. But in reality, like, just like you said, we store things in our body. I think movement can be a really great outlet for us to show ourselves love Mm -hmm. um, simply because that is one of the ways that we, we can support ourselves. Yeah. And it can be supportive mentally, emotionally, physically, Mm -hmm. where it gets sticky is when it's, when it's harnessed in the way that society tells us to exercise instead of doing it because we're showing ourselves love. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty friggin' revolutionary. <laughs> Even for me. So I think, I think what you're saying is exercise because you love yourself or exercise as a way, as a process of showing yourself love. Like a tool, like a self-love tool. Right. Right. right? You know, We can talk a little bit about my own struggle with exercise, and this is something that I really appreciated you creating space for in our DMs because you asked some really poignant questions, and I don't really remember what got it started. Maybe you do. Um, I might have been responding to... Oh, maybe a poll or something. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a total aha moment that made me super emotional. I left you a couple voice memos which was that I was super consistent with exercise right before the pandemic hit. And I prolonged that for a fair period of time until I couldn't anymore. I kind of burnt out. And you said, what contributed to that consistency? And I came up with, I think, some shallow answers. But then what I really realized actually was that during that period, I was consistent because I was in a lot of mental distress. And I was using exercise as a way to gain desperate control of my mental health. And I have built up, I think, an aversion to returning to exercise because I am, A, thank God, not in that mental space anymore. And B, I don't feel the need to control 
my body or my mental health through exercise. But I've also never thought about it as a as a tool for expressing self-love. So I'm in this space where I should exercise. I know my body would love it. I know lots of ways that I enjoy exercising. And yet I cannot muster up the interest or the time or the consistency or the plan to make it a part of my life. And if I go back in time, which is what we talked about before and was a huge part of the goal setting exercise, is I can remember the times I was most consistent with my exercise, I was in the most mental distress. And I was using exercise as a way to yeah. to stay of this world, to not lose my mind, sure. to, to not lose my mind. And part of me thinks, you know, the other times I was really consistent with exercise, I was trying to control my size. Mm-hmm. So exercise is a way of controlling my body and my mind, not as a way of expressing love is pretty radical 180 I think yeah definitely it's like having the association with trying to like control your experience Mm -hmm. and using it as something to fix you Mm -hmm. as if Mm -hmm. you know as if as if there was something to fix in a way like yeah yeah and it felt like there was because I was really not okay I was not okay at those times. Grab at the things mm-hmm. that we have within our control. And I can understand it feeling almost scary to like open up that association. It really does. Try to have a new, it's like trying to establish a new relationship with something that was connected to not a great time. Yeah, to, to, pain, to pain, honestly. It's really, you know, um, it's not who I want to be. It's not a place I want to go back to. Yeah. So when I think about, you know, like I said before, I know what to do. I know what works. But my body also remembers these kind of like, like I do. I have these vivid memories of being on the verge of tears and doing like a fitness martial dance YouTube video sometimes multiple times a day. I don't think I've ever told anybody that, but it was this. And then it was like, I was losing the postpartum baby weight. So it was all good. Yeah. Right. Right. But I was not sleeping. I was on medication. I was seeing a therapist and I was exercising and it felt like I was doing all the right things. And I got to a place where I got better and I, and I definitely feel like I have totally come full circle to that experience and I have found healing in my life. So it's not as though I guess maybe like the exercise didn't work. Um, but I, I, I still can't, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe I, you see these messages all the time, which is like, you know, I went on a stupid walk for my stupid mental health and it worked. And I'm so, so sorry to tell you, but if you drink eight glasses of water a day and you sleep eight hours a night and you exercise regularly, you're going to feel better. I know that that's all true, but I just don't want to go back there. But I also, well, first I want to say thank you for sharing that because I know from how you've been speaking, it it is a time you don't want to go back to. So yeah. I'm, I'm grateful that you brought that here. But I also think that those memes, <laughs> the stupid walk for my stupid mental health gives me a little giggle. It just makes me laugh. But <laughs> um, the, like the thing about if I, you know, drink all the water and get all the sleep and do all the exercise, it it kind of 
that can also just be a mask of checking boxes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Depending on, it really comes down to like where it's coming from. And it's like, am I sleeping eight hours a night because I interact better with my wife the next day? Because I'm more patient? Because I'm more likely to do the things in the morning that make me feel connect, like connected and, and connected to myself? Or am I sleeping eight hours a night or not, you know, trying to sleep eight hours a night because, because these are the, 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 the ingredients that I need to put in. It's like we can do all the things, but it still might not feel good. Like we still might not feel good from it. And I really think that there is a lot of healing that has to come. And I'm not by any means like there's no end to healing, I don't think, but yeah, I think oh, it's gosh. just a journey of like really knowing your like why you're doing something, and that takes really knowing you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I think that's really hard because we're not taught, we're really not taught how to know ourselves. We have to kind of like stumble into it <laughs> by crap by crashing and burning, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, we have to live our lives and hopefully be able to put the pieces together over time and read between the lines of what we were thinking and doing at the time. And there's there's this, I think it's Byron Katie, but it's this sort of like um, this way of evaluating what you think is true, which is sort of like, is it true? Where did it come from? And why did it come from that person at that time? I'm probably butchering that a little bit, but I think that we sometimes save those uh, deep explorations for things like tr- capital T trauma, really big momentous events like like a divorce mm-hmm. or a death. But there's sometimes a buildup of really small cuts that wound us and we just carry that those small cuts around all the time without thinking that they need healing, without thinking that they need attention. You know, it's like exercise is like, you know, there could be a part of me that would just be like, yeah, you know what? Take it or leave it. I have a pretty full life and I had to leave something off my plate. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) That would be easier. Definitely. It's always easier. (laughs) Without embarking on, as you said, the perpetual journey of healing. Right. One of the things I think I need to heal is my relationship with exercise. As you were talking about the little, almost like the little T trauma that we carry with us and it can be in very small you know like microaggressions and Mm -hmm. just just vernacular that's used Mm -hmm. and experiences that other people are having and we're having and things become so normalized that we don't even realize the like dings to our armor that we're getting Mm. and collecting along the way because it's because it it takes like going so deep into kind of yourself and your experience and knowing why it why you have those thoughts and why they came at that time and why you're carrying them now all of those things it takes a lot of courage to look at that stuff yeah and i think our society does a really good job at keeping us kind of blind to it because we're inundated with those kind of like little t traumas around certain things and it's so mainstream and normalized that you might you might not even notice you know 
unless you're having a like a conversation <laughs> like this or like this you have a big thing that it just your life is like whoa 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 halt like we need to stop and then you're kind of like just unsure where to turn yeah there's this huge like rest rhetoric this is a bit of a pivot but there's this huge like conversation about rest mm. right now that's happening and i feel like sometimes it totally misses the mark it drives like right past the mark which is like you deserve rest take the time you need and rest but rest ends and then when you go back to it, what people end up doing is returning to any and all of the behaviors that required them to rest in the first place. And I think that rest is like should be radical. It should be like like it should take you three years to rest. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, yeah. Like we just made our way through a global pandemic and yeah. you and I both sat or live here to tell the tale. Lucky for us. But. And I'm starting to get like word choked up because I think that it's this rhetoric of rest coming so quickly after the pandemic, I think is just in some ways it's almost unfair because it's setting people up again to think that like it's like the face mask. It's like, well, if I just have a nap, yes, I would have some self-care. Yes. And I think it was Elise Myers. I don't know if you follow her. She's like a comedian. She's super funny. But she said, and I'll share this in the show notes, she shared there's no perfect way to rest. And if there was, you would have done it already. Yeah. And you and you just have to keep going and keep trying, resting in lots of different ways. Maybe it's your soul that needs rest. Maybe it's your mind that needs rest. Maybe it is your body that needs rest. Um, But it's just this really interesting conversation that I feel like rest is the new self-care. You know, there's all of these new, the weighted blanket was the beginning of it. And don't get me wrong, like you better, you best never take my weighted blanket know, from me. Yeah. But I feel like there's this whole new like um, consumer market for rest yeah. products, yeah. the same way that self-care, you know, I don't know. Um, That's me going off on a tangent after what you were saying. I totally agree with you. And I think just like, just like all of these things that bring us closer to ourselves rest is one of those things that we're just not taught how to do or right. taught to do it in the way that you need to because we don't know we have no friggin' idea what we need in that regard because our mm -hmm. world just goes full speed that when we even attempt to do something restful we're like crawling out of our skin a lot of the time mm. and i think it's a it's a skill just like all of these that like you said, you might not know what kind of rest you need. Then you just need to keep trying. Yeah. Having that ability to be flexible and not get it right, right away or not. If, if you don't take, if you take that bubble bath and you don't feel better after, like maybe that's not the thing for you. Right. You know, maybe that wasn't what you needed at that time. Right. And I think the only way we can figure those things out is by just doing, seeing how we feel and then trying something either different or trying again and we've been using wellness and self-care as another like goal to get to because we need to be fixed. Right. You know, once it's just been taken back to that place of something is wrong with me. So I need to get to this end point. Yeah. Because right now I'm not good enough. Right. 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 Oh, so many things. My brain went in a number of different directions with what you were saying. But um, the one thing I wanted to bring up was you were keeps you've kept saying you've said a couple times we've not been taught mm. and it makes me think back to which is so interesting home ec. I didn't take home ec. I didn't either so we're both of a generation that missed the home ec mark 
And home ec existed, and so did shop, I think, in many ways, Mm -hmm. to help people live efficiently and to contribute productively to society by running a good household according to societal standards. So women, stereotypically, would take home ec so that they would know how to balance a grocery budget, so that they would know how to use a tough cut of meat, so that they would know how to demonstrate their productivity and their value in their homes Mm. once they were off and out in the world. But I think let's bring back home ec because if you teach me how to use a crock pot, that's going to give me potentially 45 to an hour back in my life to spend on myself. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. If you teach me how to invest using a robo-advisor, then I'm going to build generational wealth and I'm going to be able to live in a way that outlines my values. If you teach me how to reflect on who I am as a person and what I want out of my life before I actually pick a career in any direction. You know, it's all of these kind of like life skills that I'm going to be I'm going to be 40 in a couple of weeks and I feel like 40s too late, you know? Like <laughs> like what if I'd figured this out no. when I was 18 because and I also like I feel like I was super lucky cuz I I grew up with both my parents and we were, you know, uh comfortable. Life wasn't perfect, but you know, and um I had great role models in my life and I had by all means on paper an extremely stable childhood right and yet I still look back and think like it took me too long to figure these things out and (laughs) yeah could the public school system have maybe helped me out a little bit in that regard there um yeah no that's so interesting and it's true it's like I can't even and maybe this is the point is I can't even imagine the people the communities if we just had those skills yeah right exactly like, imagine the landscape of the world if we possess these skills to make our lives easier to create lasting you know habits of of investing and having wealth so that we can live in alignment with what matters most to us and what if we possess the skills to check in with ourselves. Have I done too much? Am I burning out? What do I need? Like, can I express my needs and actually express them? Like know them so that I can communicate them. Like imagine the world that we would live in. Yeah. It would just be, it would be incredible. Like we would have so many incredible conversations and maybe we need to build it. Hey, we need to build like, like the the teen school for life skills or whatever, you know, I don't know. It's (laughs) Yeah. But I I feel like if we're having this conversation, then we would love our kids. I don't have children. I have a little dog right next to me, but we would love our kids probably to get these skills as early as they can kind of, you know, understand and and apply them and practice them Mm -hmm. and give them the chance to practice them and not feel like they have to get it right right away. Because that's what I feel like a lot of this stuff is too, is we have to get it right, right away or else it means something about us. You know, when you're so, when you're successful, whether that is you're getting good grades, you're in my situation, I was always the athlete that performed really well and you get praised for these things. When something doesn't come naturally, it's kind of catastrophic for a bit. It's like the worst experience ever. It's because it means you're not good at it, right? Yeah. So I kind of went on a little tangent there, but I just imagine- 
what that would be like. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny, even with my own kids, I have three kids, 10 and under, and their ability to adapt and understand those messages is always on a sliding scale. Their ability to have a growth mindset sometimes depends on how much they cared about something. You know, like if it's my middle child and his math test, he got, you know, 80%, then he's thinking, yeah, that's okay. Next time I'll try for 85. But if it's my oldest child and he got 80 on a math test where he knows he could have gotten 100, then his ability to have a growth mindset is like really affected already at this age. And it's baffling to me how those messages of value and productivity can be imposed on our kids at such a young age. You know, like sometimes I feel like it's a racehorse that's out the gate. And uh, But also, again, that's me maybe thinking in too much of an all or nothing kind of mentality about my own parenting and the opportunities to coach them through or to role model to them my own thinking process about when things aren't going my way. My mom is a nurse. My dad is a social worker. So talking about feelings is like kind of built into me as is caring about other people. So I'm often trying to say to my kids, you know, we just adopted a dog. And of course, the dog comes with all kinds of things. He's adorable. We love him. He's chewed up some stuff. You know, he's had Mm -hmm. some accidents in the house. (laughs) You know, and he's he's eaten some stuff off the counter that he wasn't supposed to. And the kids see oh, yeah. see my husband and I uh, be upset with him or be stressed yeah. and say like, oh, why is he doing that? I don't know why. And they're absorbing that. And I've had to say, especially to my oldest son, and this is another tangent, but I've said to my oldest son is like, if I'm not okay, you can be okay. Yeah. Right? Like if I'm wow. stressed and I'm processing something related to the dog, I want you to know that I love you so much and you can be happy and fine even if I'm stressed and worried. That's a really profound thing to share for little sponges, you know? And sometimes they're like, but I just want you to be happy. And I'm like, I get that and I appreciate that. But it's actually not up to you. <laughs> right. And it's not your responsibility, you know? Yeah, but, um, oh, Alex, you know, I feel like we could really chat um, for so much longer. I, I want to kind of yeah. circle back just to the coaching a little bit because I think sure. I think what you're doing for people, we've, we've talked a lot about the individual, but um, let's circle back to, to coaching and to your relationships that you're building with people in the context of their goals. What's what's maybe what's maybe the number one thing that you would want future clients to understand about looking for a coach when it comes to this kind of goal setting and health and wellness and self-care? I think the biggest thing that I hope for in coaching relationships is having the space to share how you really feel about something and and having that trust Mm. that what you share is going to be protected to know that that information is being used to help you have these wellness self-care tools Mm -hmm. to like support yourself. So from a coaching standpoint, I think it's really important to feel safe Mm -hmm. because some of this stuff is hard, right? Like some of this stuff is very holding the mirror up to you. Mm -hmm. And that takes trust in in the person that's guiding you through it um, to get you to help you get through it. So I think recognizing how they're how they're showing up, what they're sharing and, and kind of the way that they interact. Um, I know it can be limited on social media, but I think that kind of container is really important. And then also that the like things like exercise. So I go off of six different pillars mm-hmm. that I think are supportive for folks. And that's 
it's funny you mentioned rest, but how you structure your morning and how your night, how those things feel. So we look at those, both of those, like, um, like the sandwich, right? Yeah. Exercise and movement, meditation, or just stress relieving things to like kind of downregulate. I don't always use the words downregulate because I feel like it's kind of a niche thing to say, but yeah. tools in that regard. And then also how to have your relationship with like prepping dinners or just food in general, how to make it easy, mm-hmm. like make it easy to get the things that you need mm-hmm. and not feel like you have to do what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. Like these are for you and only you. Oh, and the last one is rest. <laughs> so ironic that you say that. But these are all tools to just like, for lack of a better phrase, like bring you like home to bring you your own support. And I think that affects how you show up in the world, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's so aligned with what I talk about all the time, which is I said, you know, you have to build the place in the world that's made for you. Yeah. Those tools, those pillars that you're talking about to bring yourself home. I feel like that's just another way of saying the same thing is that, you know, um, there are ways to focus our attention um, that can be that can have a major return on how we come home to ourselves and how we find solace in our own identities. And a lot of people, I think, after the pandemic are really trying to get to know themselves all over again. Yeah, totally. You know, because a lot of our a lot of our underlying operating assumptions were shattered. Oh, gosh, big time for in so many different ways, like our systems just yeah. in, in so many different ways mm-hmm. were put under a very, very, like, intense microscope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good that's come from that. I really believe that. I really do. I think so, too. For as painful as it might feel, I think that. Yeah. My word of 2023 was healing for a reason. So. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Alex, uh, if we wrap up, I like to wrap up by asking people to take that mental time machine along with us and along with our audience. So if you could go back 20 years and meet yourself from 20 years ago, what's one thing that you would want to say to that Alex, young Alex? Oh. That not everything has to be perfect. Yeah. Like that she doesn't have to be the best and finish first on her test or be first in line to be good. Like she just is good. And that is something that I've grown through. But that is a strong message that I just wish I wish I could communicate that to her. Yeah. I I think Aaron from twenty years ago would love that too, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And then let's say Alex from 20 years from now takes a time machine to the present and knocks on your door and says, hey, uh, I had an opportunity to check in with you and I want you to know this. What do you think she would tell you? That she's really proud. Yeah. And she's really proud at me taking like the risks, so to speak, of starting a business and to show up in the way that I am because there's been a lot of working through fear Mm. and so I believe that she would come back and say like it it was worth it and I'm really proud for how you like lived in alignment with yourself at that time oh my gosh I have tears in my eyes (laughs) I love that I love that thank you Alex thanks so much for being on the podcast today this was a real treat a real privilege to spend time with you and get to know you even better. Uh, I know we'll we'll just continue our relationship, um, but uh, I know that the Medium Lady audience is really going to benefit from what you've shared with us today and just our conversation. So thanks, thanks for being you. You're pretty amazing. Well, thank you for having me. I know your community, and now it's two years old, which is <laughs> like so so awesome. But I know it. You hold it close to your heart, and you're creating something so special. 
and I'm just so I feel very privileged to be to have this experience and to be here so thank you oh the privilege is mine we'll talk to you later Alex bye thank you so much for spending time with me today please make sure to reach out and connect on Instagram with me. I can be found at medium.lady over there. If you have any feedback about today's conversation, you can head to the pink tile in my feed for the latest episode and we can always continue the conversation over there. If you like this podcast, please make sure to share a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you love this podcast, please share it on social media. Be sure to tag me so I can personally thank you for growing our community. Finally, be sure to follow this podcast wherever you're listening and make sure your notifications are on. Don't forget, you're doing such a good job. Bye!